everybody. Welcome to the next episode of The Growth Show. Delighted to be here, um, as always. Some fascinating conversations we've had so far. Um, I'm Ollie Phillips, and I'm very, very lucky to be joined today by David Berkeley and Tom Pickering. Um, Tom, to give you some background on, on him, uh, Tom is an experienced business leader who's, who has helped over 200 businesses um, with serious challenges, um, rapidly reducing their sort of uh, um, uncertainty and reaching resolution with them. Um, his methodology that he uses to do that, which he, I'm sure he's going to elaborate as we go through, um, is through his company. He's the chief executive of a company called Winning Thinking, um, and they have a methodology called the Team Game Changer Model. So I'm looking forward to understanding how that one plays into action uh, later on. Uh, David uh, is uh, in similar field, but he runs a coaching company called Elevate Founders um, that predominantly focuses on coaching founders and senior teams and startups and scale-ups, um, looking at areas such as emotional intelligence, uh, and leadership development. So two incredibly well-schooled individuals with us today on the uh, on the podcast. Delighted that this is happening. And um, we've chosen a pretty broad subject today, gents, uh, I, you know, I believe, um, and that we're going to look at uh, the, the general mistakes that leaders make in a crisis, fairly relevant and pertinent to, to what is going on um, today. Some may be in one camp, some in another. Some may think that some of our leaders around the world are doing a sterling job others may think they're doing a disastrous job but we're going to look at you know, the common mistakes they make uh, and equally how they can uh, correct them at the end so thank you ever so much for being here tom david great to have you both on board Pleasure to so be tom here. tom let's start with you my man let's start with your opinion it's a broad subject so we could be here for hours we're going to try and keep it as punchy as possible but Given the backdrop of COVID-19 that we've got right now, leadership's obviously incredibly important. From your experience of having dealt with over 200 businesses, what are the, you know, these common mistakes that leaders fall into in, in, in times of crisis? Yeah, good question, Ollie. I think the, um, the, 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 the main pitfall is leaders thinking they know better <laughs> um, and the way that manifests itself. And there's two things I'd like to discuss. One is... Um, the impact on um, on the staff, and and then secondly, I'd like to talk a bit about um, strength and vulnerability. So, in terms of the first the first point, I think there's a temptation when things get difficult to um, assume the world's on your shoulders and you need to know the answers to all the questions. When in fact, completely opposite is true. Um, the key is actually to acknowledge um, the individuals and really take an interest in them um, to um, really. Uh, care about the individuals and start put up, start putting other people first. Well, Tom, let me let me let me, let me try and let me try and dive in on something about this then, because what I'm intrigued about is you know, let's contextualise what's going on at this present moment in time. You've got yeah. leaders uh, uh, all around the country that um, you know, perhaps have got you know, pressure. You know, let's name names. You know, whether it be Boris Johnson or, or or Donald Trump or whatever. You know, they they're in a position whereby they are expected to know the answers. Yeah, uh, they are expected to know the answers make decisions upon a, a crisis that is going on in front of us. Yeah. Uh, is, is that, okay, is that ex expectation fair and valid? And, or, you know, is that because equally they behave as if they know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's important to, well, recognise there are a lot more people than yourself when you're in a leadership, leadership position. Um, and the world is not on your shoulders. And we're only as good as the people around us. Um, and so on that basis, um, 
we're effectively orchestrators, but the key glue to hold the thing together is actually caring about other people and listening to what they've got to say. Um, and particularly when we're a little bit isolated, um, that, and so, that, so, that's, sorry, sorry to interject on, but, but how do you, how do you show that? Like, you know, when you're, when you're the prime minister, president, chief executive of a massive company, thousands of people at your disposal, how do you, you know, how, how do you show that you care and love them? Well, I think it, it's an internal thing. You know, you either do, you don't, it's got, um, you've got to take an interest. I mean, what we do is actually to practice putting somebody else first. So I think the first thing is to, in terms of um, the way this manifests itself is to start putting other people first. And what happens then is they put you first and it creates a self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, and what that does is it creates a free and open um, situation whereby people um, know exactly what's going on. Um, the, in terms of the good and the bad as well, um, the best way to get, good performance and good behavior is not by setting values and standards. It's actually to let people do their own thing, oddly enough, um, and actually take an interest in them because when you give people opportunities and let them do their job, they, uh, they tend to behave themselves um, and deliver great results. Okay. So, so, I mean, empowering people, putting them first, showing that you care. I mean, David, you know, that all seems to resonate with a, you know, a level of having a, a decent level of emotional intelligence, something that, that you know, you're well-schooled in. You know, whether we are contextualising it into the current situation with you know, our, our existing government or whatever else, that, or just in general within this time of crisis, um, within lots of different organisations that will all be facing their own challenges, yeah, how does that really come to the fore? Is that something that you can just suddenly pull out your left, you know, left pocket, top pocket, of like, oh, I'm going to be this incredibly emotionally intelligent leader that engages and cares about everyone now it, it feels like that's going to be a bit um bit contrived but a, a bit how you know from your experience how do you do that yeah it's um it's, it's a really tricky thing because <clears throat> for all the time under pressure people perform in behavioral patterns we fall back to what we know so um under you know a lot of leaders are going to be under a lot of pressure now from boris johnson to a small business you know leader to big corporates startups Every, everybody's going to be under pressure you're going to be clients not paying or, you know, people uh, disobeying, um, uh, you know, the, the lockdown measures. We'll leave that for another time, perhaps. Um, well, David, can I ask about that? So is, you know, to Tom's point of like, you need to show people that, you know, you've got empathy, that you care about them. Um, and therefore, you know, they will you know, love and respect you in, in result and do what you're asking them to do. Is the fact that people aren't doing that at this present moment in time an example that... I don't know, it's not being shown or, or they don't believe the message? Um, I think it reveals, under pressure, it reveals our character. So, you know, uh, um, let's put it in your sort of rugby playing context, Ollie. When things are going well, you're sort of four tries out, you're cruising the last couple of minutes of a game, passes sort of go to hand and everything's working quite well. When you're in a final of a game, in your two, couple of tries down and you're getting, you know, some absolutely ma massive Fijians or Samoans are, you know, chasing you down, and things aren't working, it's not clicking, it's not flowing. You see it's, me running away, you see me running <laughs> to the change room at that point. Stop, stop, get me off. Yeah, exactly. Me off. The hammy's gone, the hammy's gone. You can often see leaders trying to do more. They try and step in and take control of things more. They try and be the person that makes the break, that makes the key pass. And in business, you see that. 
um, as Tom was saying earlier, is of jumping in. Of I know better. I, you know, I can do this. I can get from A to B quicker than you can. So if I just do this for you, then it, you know, it'll help everybody because we'll get things faster. That then disempowers the employees. Then they sort of start waiting for the leader to do stuff, which creates this loop. And I, you know, love behavioral psych behavioral loops are, are brilliant. I love that because it shows, you know, you because then you can break the loop because you can understand what's happening. You can then change the behavior. Okay. And so in that situation, the best thing leaders can do is just take time out, take a breather, you know, probably on the rugby field, you might have had five seconds breather just to sort of pause and think and reset. You know, in business, maybe just take 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour each day and sit back and go, right, what do my team need from me? What is it that yeah. they want? How can I best help them today to get to their outcomes as opposed to me jumping and fixing stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and do you think, you know, on your point, because both of you sort of said that, you know, the, the common, you know, a common mistake is that people think they've just got to jump in and do more, whereas actually they probably need to pause and, and do less um, in, in that scenario. Or not necessarily do less, but at least have, take time for reflection and, and thought process. Do you think there's, obviously an expectancy or thought process from leaders that they have to do that um, but equally on the flip side you know employees british public press and media wh whatever it might be expect you to do that too but there's a there is a pressure for you to act and respond yeah i mean i think and tom will probably have some great examples of this too i think under pressure we particularly the british public we expect our leaders to step up and we put pressure on them to lead from, you know, from the front. When you know, Boris was in hospital, everyone was saying, when's Boris going to be back? We need him at the front. We need him doing these briefings. But actually, I think the guys who did the briefings you know, in, in his absence did a really, really good job. I think they steadied the ship and, um, and gave a really clear message. And actually, uh, you know, I, I often think the counter-cultural, counter counter-intuitive answer is often the right one. So actually, I think leaders doing less but what they do do is better quality is usually the way forward. If they can facilitate everyone else shining and doing what they need to do, then as a leader, you're in a good position, I think. Yeah. And Tom, just on that, I mean, obviously you've seen lots and lots of companies that were lots of different, I guess, personality traits over time from diff you know, different industries, different sectors and things like that. Is, is, is there is there a you know, constant theme, current theme? We've mentioned the fact that there's this tendency to, to dive in. And when you've when you've gone into uh, some practices, how much does ego play a role in? I guess either making a making a leader either make bad decisions or good decisions. Like, it, it, how much does that play a role in in this broad perspective of like I have to do something because this is I'm, I'm the chief exec or I'm the prime minister or I'm the managing director. Yeah. Well, I think if you think about it, Ollie, a whole education system is geared up to, for leaders to know the answers to the questions, which is fairly ridiculous. Um, and I think the challenge is um, in a difficult situation is how do we respond? So, um, and there's a certain, it's very difficult to know how people respond in difficult situations until they're actually faced with it. And I think we've had a period where things have been very easy for a very long period of time. Um, and so, um, so would you, Tom, would you argue that people are not, I guess, well practiced or well versed at the moment to deal with. Crisis? Totally. They well, I don't even recognize it. Yeah. So, I mean, the first response that Boris Johnson made was, um, rather than really getting to the facts uh, on the crisis, it's, he made a statement that 
It was just a generalization which is a norm which normalizes a situation which creates stasis and that statement was um the big bounce back okay now um that's an example of you know somebody expecting things to go back to the way they were as well as fueling um you know, supporting house prices and other things which frankly are unsustainable so what you find is that people tend to do what they've done in the past um and um, regardless of whether or not they're right or wrong, and um, when when people become stressed, you know they will they will repeat more and more things they've done in the past, and they'll stop thinking. And the challenge with this is to actually recognise junctures in communication when people should say stop. You know that is challenging, and th those are generalisations. So if anybody makes a statement like the big bounce back or when we come through this, alarm bells should run. In fact, I. I David made a statement as well, the other day around um, um, as well when we were talking, um, yeah. which uh, which actually creates stasis. And these these statements are, are really critical. So, the, and we're not aware of this. So when we're reading this situation, Ollie, this is this is my concern that leaders are um, unaware. Um, also, this is um, very unfamiliar territory. When things get seriously difficult, um, it's very difficult to know how people behave. So um, we have you no. Know, how do we handle that in, in a crisis? We have a, a structure that we put in place, which I've effectively orchestrate with my team because some people can't cope with this. Okay. And you need to be able to recognize when people can't cope and you drag them out and or you support them and you know how to handle that. So it's a whole different set of skills to cope with this. Um, and, what, and what are the common signs of when people can't cope out of interest? Right? How do you know when, you know, they've just lost the plot? I mean, yeah. apart from the obvious that they're running around and crying or something like that, but, you know, well, no, it's, it doesn't, it to that level. Well, it, it's, it's, it is it's generalisation. So what we do, Ollie, um, for example, when, when David posed this question, my initial, there was various different, we either ignore it completely, which is delete something. So um, you, can, you can label something and say, well, Ollie's toxic, I'm not going to speak to him if he says something I don't like. So first of all, the communication comes up through the ranks you know, that, 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 that okay. gets pushed to one side and you just disregard it completely. That's called deletion. You can distort something, which is you can create a, um, a generalization. You can say, well, everybody's got um, a pension scheme or everybody's got a mortgage extension. Therefore, that's okay. Um, so that's a distortion. Um, and, or, um, and if you look at all of the actions that have been taking place um, through this process, you can also identify that they're the same actions despite the circumstances of change. So the whole situation around propping up the economy, propping up house prices, um, they're all what, what's happened before. There's very little think, and that's a sign of no thinking going on. Really. So this is a catch-22 trap. And of course, if you don't address the right issue, you end up creating rework. So some of the rework currently is um, it's quite subtle, actually, but it's it's things like fudging the insolvency legislation. So there's a whole raft of technicalities that are taking place there around um, creating a window of um, letting directors off for trading to the detriment of creditors. Um, that's one thing. The, the extending the furlough scheme, you know, the, the logic around that in terms of the words really matter. So in my, in my, my view, that should be a window, a grant, to, to a restructuring grant rather than a loan. Um, because this is a one-off hit, and that would then encourage people to say, right, I need to use this time. Um, but by creating a loan, you're creating, um, effectively yeah. pushing, push it, creating a, an addiction to government funding. And at the moment, Ollie, um, 
the level of this crisis is quite extraordinary because effectively capitalist capitalism has fallen to pieces utterly unique and everybody's gone back to the state they're going back to the nanny state regardless of your left wing right wing whichever wing you are um there are very few people that can cope and when people can't cope this is the worst um situation for human beings but this is uncertainty is the one thing we can't cope with and yeah, so, yeah. um there's lots of and there's some underlying drivers so you know you go on an mba program it's all about more 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 this is the reason why we've been trashing the planet on quite a grand scale and so the the basic mantras underlying this are really quite critical and people are quite quite unaware of this only incredibly enough so in an early in an easy time and also a lot of leaders who have been successful can get seriously derailed because they will there's an effect called hubris which um you know because they don't leaders successful leaders um don't actually ne necessarily see these patterns because they've been sailing with they've been sailing with a tailwind yeah. for an awful long time so how do so i mean david there's a lot of stuff for us to sort of potentially, <laughs> potentially pick up from from there uh, i mean some of the things that were really interesting for me there were i guess the anxiety fear piece that you know perhaps well people leaders are feeling right now of like i don't really know what to do but they can't they probably feel like they can't expose themselves to the world i mean i, I think it would obviously be a i don't know how well or badly it would go down for example if boris johnson came out and said i just don't know what to do everyone no so um so so how do you get over that hurdle i mean how do you get over this hurdle of okay look what is the reality is not allowed to be exposed you know i, I for whatever reason you know I, because people won't be accepting of it and so therefore you know you either have to like ignore your failings and internalize them and just feel anxious and, and fearful or you have to have this sense of bravado where you think you know better and you make poor decisions like uh, have you seen that in in lots of companies before that you've dealt with and and, and equally how, how have you how do they manage through it or what have you and what, what what do you see as the ways of offering solutions to that it's a really good question we can do an entire other series on basically <laughs> yeah. we're talking about imposter yeah. syndrome you yeah know, that kind of as tom's talked about it you know of i should know the answer everyone's looking at me like i should know the answer so i'm going to say something as though it's the answer and hope that nobody who knows more about it than i do pulls me up on it that is i mean it, it it's toxic in, you know in any kind of leadership thing and it slightly goes back to to tom's point of um the kind of the strength and vulnerability because you know we we often look um at, you know leaders who are strong who sort of take decisive action and going right we're all going this way come on you know and that's it and sort of people blindly follow people blindly following you know, often end up going blindly following off a cliff because you know we we completely disjointed from what's actually going on um and actually you know in our sort of education systems and how we operate usually in business um in 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 the west is vulnerability is seen as a weakness so if i say i don't know what to do if you turn around to the guys and you know in in the, you know in the team in a in a you know in a seven yeah, yeah. Spot, but guys i've got no idea what to do against these guys thankfully david most of them knew that anyway they just <laughs> you know just accepted it as it was so yeah I, I doubt that but um you, you know it's but actually you know good leaders take are often the smartest business people i know are the people who realize they don't know everything and they're often the people who talk very little and ask a lot of questions 
because they might go around the room and go, I might be a, an expert in my area, but there might be somebody who knows a 1% thing that I don't know about this area. So I'm going to listen and see if I can learn something from them as opposed to assuming that I know more. Okay. Often the weak leaders are the ones who talk more. And if the more you listen to them talking, the more you realize they don't know what they're talking about. Okay. And so part of it, and again, Tom touched on it earlier, is just actually taking time to listen to people. And I think a lot of the, speaking to the point about stress uh, in a business, a lot of the business owners I know, I mean, what is it, 49% of business owners will have some sort of mental health problem or, yeah. you know, CEOs. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy statistic. I mean, if you were, you know, to go into something and you said you've got a, one, you know, 50% chance of getting a serious mental illness from doing this, are you sure you want to do it? Most people might think about it before they jumped into that position. Um, but a lot of it, I think, comes down to they've got a very small group of people they can really be open and vulnerable to. And a lot of the clients that I have, probably the biggest thing they appreciate is in me is that I'm a, I'm a disconnected sounding board for them. I'm someone they can actually just unload problems to and just bounce these things off. Now, I do, yeah, you didn't want to build that into, build that into your culture of your team and, and how you do that across. Um, but, but that's one of the big things that people don't actually have the resources around or they don't perceive that they have the resources around them to sort of go and find the information they need and to be able to talk to people. And, and is that, is that um, so where does the responsibility lie for that then, ultimately? Is that their failing as a leader to, I guess, create that environment of you know, sharing and being able to be vulnerable? Or is that a failing of the system in, in, in general? You know, is, I mean, I know that's a, a fairly broad question, but I'm just wondering I, I, how, how you overcome that piece. Yeah, I mean, I'd say it's both. I mean, I think there's more we can do to educate start with educate kids to be more vulnerable is, is what I think we're doing and it's okay not to be okay and that, those kind of is, that's fantastic for people to actually talk about some of the stresses they're under um on that kind of mental health side um I think on an individual level a lot of you know you just need to be really aware of your strengths and weaknesses and your in your blind spots and you know sometimes a, you know a real, real strength can also be a real blind spot Okay. Um, and so I think it's, that's where it's really important to have people around that you can really trust who will pull you up and say, what are you doing? This isn't the right thing. And also to have the culture in the business to be able to do that. That's a sign of a really good culture when people can healthily challenge an, an idea and a concept to get to a better outcome. Okay. Um, very good so, so, so picking up on your strengths and weaknesses piece, and Tom, coming back to you on, on your last comment about um, hubris. Now, if, if uh, well... How do you make sure, I guess, that you, you, you keep in check with your strengths and weaknesses when, as you say, all, you know, all the tailwinds have been behind you, you've been flying, everything you touch turns to gold, maybe you become a bit egotistical, a bit arrogant, maybe a bit nonchalant. Like, how do you sense check that? And you know, what, what characteristics, personality traits or whatever do you see as the, you know, the best leaders in the world you know, that they have in order to to do that sense checking, to, to make sure they stay on track and, and stay honest and true to their, to their strengths and weaknesses and to their values. Well, I think that the starting point with this, Ollie, um, which is what COVID-19 has highlighted, is how little we actually know. Okay, so yeah. um, fundamentally, we know we're very, uh, when the wind's behind you, the, you know, everything's fine. I've, I've had the privilege of being in 200 organisations, directly or indirectly, that have... Um, created just hit a hit and hit something they can't cope with 
And the natural response as a leader is to go in and tell people what to do, which frankly is what most turnaround people do. But it's a big mistake. What you, what you need to do is decide what good looks like and set a framework up. And then you subdivide things into um, chunks and then you give things to do to people to do. But you need to make sure that in that process that they can actually do that. And they, they tend to, first of all, they tend to be the least likely people. Um, and the second thing is then you set up a review to develop the team. So um, unlike David, I, I actually, um, I'm very much hands-on. I'm operationally accountable. So I'm all about getting businesses back onto track. But people will often come to me when I'm running these reviews and just say, look, Tom, tell me what to do. And I'll say, no. <laughs> uh, and there's so various different ways of engaging. Because if I tell people what to do, the button just switches off. Um, and they go back to not thinking. And, uh, you know, and if you're not thinking, Ollie, when you're going from A to B, you, your capability isn't developed. You just, you just get tired. And you just come back to Tom and say, what do you think now, Tom? I said, you know, and for a start, it bores me stupid. <laughs> and actually, sometimes another way of handling this is also to act stupid. It sounds very counterintuitive, but I often act stupid <laughs> because that really pr- cranks up the, um, you know, the level of urgency with the team. Um, I'm incredible at doing that, Tom. So, I mean, I, maybe I should come work with you because I'm phenomenally stupid. I mean, yeah. uh, but I think the great, you know, you know how David said, know your strengths and weaknesses. I know that I am incredibly stupid. So I've, that's yeah. clearly a strength right now in, in our conversation, which is excellent. That's a good place to be because I think that that's actually, <laughs> that's actually pretty close to reality, to be honest, Ollie. Um, although, you know, I think I don't like this label of, um, you know, that we, that we talked about before. Um, I don't like labels particularly at all, but I think it's the best place to be in a, in a boardroom. Rather like you, you know, when you were concerned when you first joined PwC, you were concerned that you didn't know things. That's actually the best place to be because that's closest to reality of anybody in that room. Because um, the fact is that you know, knowing or expecting that you know better is a, is a flawed position. The only way you can really take a view of what's going on is to open up the communication with the team, make sure you're approachable and get absolutely pure, uncut information the best you can. And then you can start putting the jigsaw together, which requires more than one person. And if you interrupt that pattern or if you get stop people from thinking by telling them what to do, it's like flicking a switch and you just switch people off. And in a situation when things get difficult, you must have people that are thinking and they also must make decisions as well. So, and this whole thing sounds, sounds um, pretty straightforward, but it's utterly unique, Ollie, because in terms of, you now I will push back. Now people say, what would you think, Tom? I said, look, I'm not going to tell you. I know how to engage. I might clarify something. They might know, they might not, they might've misunderstood something or they might need some technical advice. So I don't sort of, I don't, uh, you know, I'm not awkward for the sake of it, but I let them think it through. And what I find as well is when I interject, actually, I don't know the detail. Um, you know, so they know their jobs much better. It sounds like a bit of a truism, but when I do, I notice I get it wrong. Um, and so I think the acid test in terms of capability with all of that is the best leaders, um, one, they put the hand up and say they don't know, because that's, that's a great sign. And all of the projects, the most successful projects we've ever done, that's the characteristic. The second thing is they're they're willing to, hand stuff off to me so they say look tom i don't know what to do i just want you to sort this out that's another very healthy sign there's one third check which um checks values i don't like putting people into boxes but actually i are you in agreement in terms of the outcome so some leaders and i have been told no 
know, go and fire some people, which actually isn't a very constructive thing, you know, necessarily. But, you know, so sometimes you can be misaligned on the outcome, which tests your values. So they might say, well, um, it might just be a completely financial, you know, chop, or, chop out yeah. the customer service department, which you fundamentally disagree with. And I, I quite often walk away from situations like that if I really, and this is where when things get difficult, Ollie, how do people behave? Because I quite often say, look, if I'm involved in a situation, it's not going to work. I'll say, look, I get the point, but if you won't let me do the job, I'm not, you know, you know, I'm not going to do this. And a lot of people will fudge it. They'll take a high day rate to, to, yeah. to, to deliver how, a mediocre outcomes. So that's when push comes to shove. When things get tough, are you willing to sail it right into the wind? And that's, that's, a, that's very unfamiliar territory for a lot of people. But how do you, so, so one thing I just wanted to pick up on was you mentioned yeah, having an acceptance and a recognition that you don't know the answer and being willing to maybe offer it to somebody else that does, you know, yeah, or you think that does, that, that, that does have the answer. How, how do you, I guess, how do you overcome that sort of insecurity, I don't know what the word is, um, of, of really having no checks and balances against that individual? If you don't know the answer and you're watching Tom go off and do his thing and you don't actually know what good looks like because you've got no idea. How do you, how do you ultimately get comfortable and sure in the fact that they are doing the right job because well, yeah, there's absolute accountability. So yeah, um, you've added some meaning to that, which um, I have complete accountability. So I'll say to you, Ollie, so look, Ollie, I want you to, I'll give you an example to double the, double the output, of the factory, right? This is real. Okay. In two weeks and you've got X amount of money, and if you get stuck with that task, you let me know. And that's your role as part of the member of the team. And I say to the other, the finance person or the procurement person, you've got 25 grand to spend on materials, no more. I say to the finance person, you need to deal with the HMRC to come up with a time to pay arrangement. And whatever, so these are the top line objectives, the how, so that's the what. It's that then the how is, is down to them and that's where the opportunity is. And then you watch how the team interacts as absolute accountability, Ollie. So complete and utter. And I, I will review this on a daily basis to make sure that um, two things, make sure nothing's falling through gaps. So there are gaps in these things. So someone might say something new that's cropped out the woodwork, which I haven't picked up, um, which I'll then make sure that there's a home and I'll make sure that it doesn't come back to me. There's a home for all of these things. So we're developing the team. We're also... Um, there's a reporting format I use, which is progress, issues, actions, and items for decision. And what that does is it, it progress is really important because it says, look, it's not me doing all the work. So if, you work, if you're doing some work for me, Ollie, you know, I know what you're doing, which is positive, and everybody else knows what they're doing. Um, what are the issues? This is what I'm struggling with. So these are opportunities for the rest of the team to support you because you might be duplicating effort, in which case you can stop doing things. Um, Items for decision, which are things that you say, so you might say, this is what I've decided to do, Tom. And, you know, so and that's not a juncture to, to provide advice rather than take away accountability. So there's absolute accountability, Ollie, with this. So the odd thing is, in terms of managing risk, the way to manage risk is to delegate and, and in that type of structure, which is relatively informal, but very closely um, tracked. Um, okay. but the so David, I, I mean, listening, space, listening, Listening to Tom there, and, you know, some of the things that you know, he's mentioned, we mentioned so far, has been number one mistake leaders that you know, 
make in general in, a, in times of a crisis they try and take everything onto their own shoulders number one you know rather than accepting and recognizing that they don't know everything which yeah. then probably plays in the second part which tom sort of touched on which is trust trust in other people around you that they can deliver so having the you know, i guess the the confidence to trust in those people empower those people to deliver um, and then creating a framework or a structure of accountability which yeah. is ultimately, I guess, listening there, you know, your, your job as a leader, yeah. you know, in inverted commas, of the organization to do so that the people can go off and excel at, at, with their strengths, um, but within a, a, a guided framework, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if, if that, David, is the, it, it resonates similar to the things that you've seen before or there's anything else that you think is actually really pressing that we you know we haven't spoken around, but I'd just love to get your take on that, if you like, as a, as a methodology yeah I, th I think those would be the under underpinning things um in this because under pressure people usually leave process at the door they think they need to reinvent a wheel they think they need to do something completely different um actually they just need to be really clear on what they're trying to do and i think uh a lot of the time you know so i had a client um at a, you know a startup company uh, going on at the moment this hit Obviously, the sales guys can't do any meetings, face-to-face -face meetings. So how do they do meetings? How do, they, how do you get corporates to spend money again when nobody's spending money? So all their um, projections went down massively. Um, the head of sales of the company then completely reworked how they were going to do the sales, engaged the team, and then started hitting their targets by 300% within weeks, which is amazing. But again, it comes down to the basic principles, the basic processes were there. It was just taking the time to go, okay, well, what's different now? What's the same? What's different? Um, and how are we going to adapt to the situation now to still get to our outcomes and still get to what we're trying to do? So would you say, David, then a process is, well, I guess, vital or an established process is vital in, in, all, in order to establish trust or maintain trust? I don't know whichever way you want to look at it, but... Yeah, I think it's two things, isn't it? So it's, yeah, they often say, you know, in, in your world of sports, you know, if you've, got a, if you've got a technique, you can trust the technique, which is why repetition comes in. And you look at the guys yeah. like you know, Johnny Wilkinson kicking a, a, a ball or Tiger Woods yeah. swinging a golf club. They just do it thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Now, and that boosts it in. So things like that, that, that's really, really important to have process. And particularly in, in leadership, you can't have a team where everybody's just doing what they want to do and doing different things. And um, you can't just have everybody focus on the stuff that they enjoy doing and not doing the stuff that yeah. needs to be done. And so how, does, you, how does that, David, how does that work though, just on that, you know, in terms of establishing a process and a method and whatever else like that, but to coin the, you know, the old Mike Tyson analogy, it's great. You can have all the best processes in the planet and you can be the, you know, know how to throw the perfect punch until someone punches you straight in the nose and then all bets are off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's brilliant. I know all the technique and all the process, then I get punched in the face, and then I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't like that. Yeah, I did a charity boxing fight a few years ago, and I know exactly hope, what hope, Hopefully not with Mike Tyson. No, but I did spar with somebody who fought him, but we'll oh, leave that. My God, you're bloody good then. But no, anyway, no, not, not really. We'll leave that for <laughs> a good story, but we'll leave it for a time. Um, you know, let's be clear. At the moment in this process, everybody's been punched in the face by Mike Tyson, I, I believe, you know, in yeah. terms of economy and everything else. This is, this is serious. And whatever people thought would, ha you know, would just work before, 
it probably won't. And I think people need to be um, going back to the fundamentals of actually what they're trying to do with their business and just get really laser focused on, on that and what you're trying to achieve. Um, you know, now with the permutations and, and the restrictions that there are now, um, lots of people will go down into that phase of, okay, well, it's really hard to do sales now. So let's just not do sale. You know, let's, you know, yeah. build our pipeline for three or four months time. As, as Tom was saying earlier, that's, that's a, it's a negative statement that holds people in a certain place. Actually, yeah. you could go, well, look, there's a whole load of people who've got a whole load more time because everyone can jump on Zoom now and you can't yeah, really yeah, duck yeah. because and they you should. Know, and you know they can't go anywhere. You know they're there. They're, they aren't out for meetings. because Hopefully, know. hopefully, unless they've driven to Durham. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, that's the sort of, um, you know, you want people to, to feel empowered and emboldened to, to make decisions and, and be bold and, and push the envelope a bit. You, you know, you want people to, you want to set the framework. So you, want to, you don't want people to go sort of crazy and go off in all different directions. So you need to set the parameters of what you're trying to do and be clear on that. But within that, it's about empowering people to do and then, you know, refining from there. You know, okay. Leadership, entrepreneur—you know—we don't teach leadership particularly at school. Or certainly in my day, um, you know, leaders tended to be the better players at rugby or whatever it was, and they hockey, and they tended to be the yeah. leaders or people who could do good, you know, public speaking or whatever. Um, and so I think a lot of it, you know, is we're sort of learning on the job here, and people often rise to the level of incompetence. But again, we'll talk about that in another, <laughs> yeah. the other yeah. video. Um, but you know, I think. Um, it really is coming down to putting out the frameworks of what you're trying to accomplish and getting everyone on the page to do that. And I think a lot of business owners think they have more skin in the game than their employees because it's yeah. their or they've got yeah. more share. Okay. Well, they've still got a job. They've still got a mortgage. They've still got a family to feed. They've got yeah, more yeah, yeah. in the game on a human level as, as you do. So <laughs> use that. Okay. So, I mean, I, to be honest, this conversation could go on, on for days, which is incredible, <laughs> to be honest. But I'm conscious of, of everyone's time here. So I want to I ask one final question, if, if you'll allow me, which is, you know, reflecting on, you know, I guess the initial statement that was asked was, you know, what are the general mistakes that leaders make in a crisis? We sort of identified some of those behaviours. Um, and then we sort of said, in actually, you know, in order to reverse that and be... Um, and be a successful leader you need to be appreciative of the fact that you don't know everything you know number one mistake is thinking you know better or that you have to have all the answers uh, the second one was then you need to be able to trust all the people around you to empower them to go on and deliver on their you know, their daily jobs or their skill sets their strengths that you said david um and then the final one which which you both have sort of spoken around which is making sure that there is a process a methodology in place that allows um, for people to flourish, but equally to maintain some form of accountability so that you, whoever is sat at the top of the tree, has a way of you know, measuring and keeping track, if you like, of, of that progress and of, of, that, um, of the work that they're doing. So my question in, in, in closing the last one, and I'd love the perspectives from both of you, is you know, given now that we've been in you know, COVID-19 for whatever it is, nine weeks, 10 weeks, how do you think leaders across the globe but in particular in the uk whether it publicly or privately with the companies that you're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis now how do you think leaders in in general are 
responding at the moment? Do you think we're doing a, a sterling job or a poor job? And if you've got any examples of good or bad, it'd be great to hear them. Yeah, I think um, I have to be really careful. I'm not... I don't want you to name names, Tom. Don't worry. I don't well, need no, to sort of so say, I tell you what, Steve is bloody awful. <laughs> yeah, so um, I think just to summarise, I think what, what is the challenge? The challenge is if a leader know, thinks they know better, they don't. But when they think they know better, and if people are acting on that, then what that does is it it takes the um, the actions away from the challenge, and everybody gets very busy, and that creates a very difficult situation. And that's got to stop. So, in terms of these reviews, Ollie, it's not actually a, a typical business review. It's all around the psychology of this. How do you break the cycle of that? Yeah. And the the sign of someone not coping is actually generalizations. Okay. So people will make statements like when this happens, or um, in fact, da- I remember what David said before, change takes a long time. I disagree with that because you normalize something. Um, and actually the winning thinking program, we actually take actions um, there and then in the same day, because if we don't do it today, when, are, when exactly are you going to do it, Ollie? <laughs> uh, right. you know, it's, uh, otherwise yeah. you just create a long shopping list. So it's all about taking action today. Um, so out of this, I think, um, the, the so, Tom, Tom, sorry, Tom, just a challenge on that one then. If it's about taking actions today, you know, publicly, privately, people are making decisions and taking actions, you know, whether, whether that's, you know, the government and giving, issuing loads and loads of debt and going back to a nanny state or, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, they're making decisions, whether they're the right or the wrong ones. Well, this is what, in terms of the review know. process, what you need to pick out, so what you need to pick out is generalizations because the generalizations will be the wrong decisions, Ollie. Okay. Okay. So the wrong decision, um, there was a whole raft of them, which have, have, so the, the wrong statement in the first place, this is, um, we'll get through this. Um, it's created a raft of actions around softening the insolvency legislation and loans for businesses, both of which are inappropriate because there's a good chance actually this could take 25% out of the economy. It looks like it has. Okay. Um, yeah. So therefore, those two things are a fudge. Um, and But that, that what's driving that is actually identifying the statement. So in these reviews, what you need to do is pick out certain types of communication. What, one easy one is generalizations, although um, generalizations are what, what keep us sane <laughs> when things get really tough, because it, it's very difficult to face everything. Um, and actually, there are things you can do, and there are things you can't do. So some things... You know, there are things you can action and there are things you can't action. But within that, in terms of the, the review process, you need to pick out where people are malfunctioning. And one, one way of identifying that is a generalization. Those are the problem statements that create um, dysfunctionality and create problems. So, um, okay. That, yeah, that, but, but then, but it, it, on to your point, I mean, it still is a decision, is it not? I mean, it's still like to, you know, on that example you gave, like to res- relax insolvency rules yeah I, I mean i don't but you're right it, it could breed more inefficiency it could allow bad businesses to stay afloat probably cost more money in the long run so i agree that's outcome but so is it not is it not yeah, under, under the, the process so the process decision? the process should be ollie right is that if anybody makes one of these statements that will our thinking drives our, our actions okay if that yeah. thinking is flawed you get a flawed action and what should happen when that statement's made you should stop say stop 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 we need to critically think this through, okay? And that hasn't happened because people are unaware of how their 
um, how these generalizations actually drive their actions and they carry on regardless. And, and why is that not, so, and Tom, why, just sorry to interrupt you, but why is that not happening? Is that because the people around yeah. them in their teams are not? You haven't got the skills. You haven't got the skills, right. Ollie. You haven't got the skills. Okay. So even David, David really knows what he's doing. And he made a statement that change takes a long time. If David's the boss, that normalizes. And I've heard that a thousand times in organization. Change David, he's killing you. I'm, he's killing I'm gonna let you. I'm going to come to you now, David. So you <laughs> no, no, say, Dave, yeah, I'm on. just saying, but I'm, I'm saying that because we need to hold each other to account, Ollie. And David really knows what he's talking about. And actually, we're all flawed. So, and I also, my team hold me to account. I've got a very, and I've, I've trained my team with these skills. So they come back to me and say, do you realize what you've just said, Tom? Like, ah. So what does good look like? You should stop mid-sentence. The difficulty with this is, Ollie, people are unaware of this. And this is quite worrying because how do you stop this trade? You have to identify these statements before these flawed decisions get made. And so in these reviews, that's what you need to look out for. And people don't look out for that. That's a, that's a big concern of mine. Yeah. But if, if you, sorry to, well, I mean, we could go on for it, but if you don't create a, you know, I guess a big picture, broad statement for people to shoot at. Well, how do they know the route? How do they know where they're trying to get to? How do they know the destination? Yeah, no, it's a very good question. It's not so much that it's wrong. It's just being aware of the implications of it, Ollie. Right. Right. So, yeah, yeah. And, and also, um, it's, it's also, um, in terms of taking action, they need to be specific. Okay. What we tend to do is we tend to create general actions, which you can't take a general action. So it's the specific type of this. What this is what we do in the winning thinking program. We pick this stuff out and we train people to actually identify this stuff and action this stuff. And the actions have to be specific, because if you if you come up with a general action, you can't. This we very often come up with general actions because it creates stasis. It's very comfortable yeah. for us. Um, or we distort or delete. So when you get familiar with this. It basically, you create junctures in a review to say, stop, 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 you know, before yeah. we move forwards, let's address that. Let's get specific uh, to make sure yeah. we're fixing the right problem. Because if you start fudging things, you don't, I, my view is business. You only get one of very few opportunities. And you don't have a, you don't have a chance to, you, you should, yeah. you should avoid taking bad decisions. And it's, if you understand the thinking, you identify that, say, look, stop, identify that you become aware of that. And then you can avoid making bad decisions. You will make bad decisions, and but it's about being aware of the statements. And there are some statements which are particularly bad, like um, you know, a generalization like "change takes a long time." Because then I've heard I can't I can't think of how many HR directors I've heard say that, and it's just not true. It's absolute nonsense. Okay, right, well, perfect, a perfect segue. So, I mean, in answer to the original question of how are leaders doing in general, Tom. Tom, if I think to sort of summarise that is they're not doing a particularly great job because they are focusing on the wrong things, generalising to making general statements and as a result of that, fudging it as they go along rather than actually getting down to the nuts and bolts of the specifics as to actually how do we engender and foster change immediately by doing X, Y and Z, right? That seems to be the general. So David, we will come to you as the final sort of enclosing statement of Okay, how are um, how are the leaders doing at this present moment in time, publicly, privately? Um, yeah, and also some of your thoughts on you know, on what Tom said there as well. I mean, you, you've got an opportunity to come back here and sort of say, that, you know, I agree or disagree with the, you know generalised statements. No, I'm, I absolutely agree with the generalised statements. I think, like all these things, the devil's in the detail. So, you know, Tom and I were having a, a wonderful chat about this a, you know, a few days ago. 
and I'm you know made an off the cuff comment that absolutely rightly that Tom picked up on. But in that, you need to, it's, it's unpacking those statements. So for a lot of the time, change. You know, if, if we leave most people in their regular daily habits, they'll keep doing what they're doing. Homeostasis. Yeah. Things we love. We love the normal, regular pattern of life. I like going up in the morning. I usually have the same breakfast. I let the dog out at a certain time. She gets her breakfast at the same time. That's how sort of life tends to go. It t- takes something perhaps like this or a serious thing to change behaviour. Or often it takes some sort of interjection at some time. And at that point, change can happen very quickly if we've got the right tools around to do it. And, so, are, and are people then, in, 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 I guess, an answer to the question, do you think that people are responding to that challenge or that opportunity? Or are they still trying to maintain habit, status quo, or get back to normal? That everyone yeah, talks about? Um, <laughs> Just to completely duck the question, I don't think there is one <laughs> other. Um, as in, but in other I've seen people who are, um, you know, who are sort of almost rearranging the, the deck chairs on the on the Titanic. You know, as in, they're just doing what they're ordinarily doing with fewer staff because they furloughed them, but it's going to be okay because they're going to come back soon, and everything's just going to crack on eventually when we get through this. To to use um, Tom's phrase of you know what Boris Johnson was saying, when we get through this, that's what people are doing. Then you've got others who are going, okay, right, let's completely re-engineer our business here. This is an opportunity to stop, pause, reflect, take stock, and then take action going forward. And they're going to accelerate out of this. Because, you know, in, in anything in kind of sport or business or whatever, it's the most efficient businesses, the ones that survive. And I think a lot of people are now, you know, it's that old adage of, um, you know, two people walking through a jungle, they see a lion, one of them starts running. They go, "Why well, you can't outrun the lion. He goes, I don't need to outrun the lion. I just need to outrun you. I think there's lots of business owners who are going, well, I just need to outrun my weakest competitors. As opposed to going, what am I actually trying to do with my business? And how do I make this business as good as it's going to be and as efficient as it's going to be? Um, and those kind of things. So that's, you know, I've seen a plethora of <laughs> responses to it. But I think that's what I you know, encourage business owners to use. This is a, fantastic time all business owners say they, they want you know the biggest thing they want is more time well great you've now got it you can't go anywhere you're saving your two-hour commute every day or whatever is how are you going to use this time now to really grow in leadership to inspire and develop and you know get the best out of everybody around you um and come out of it with a really good business well i, I think that's a uh, you know a perfect way to sort of summarise, I think we could, because it's going to segue nicely into what we can probably talk about on the, on the next show. But um, no, I think listening to those final two comments, you know, the answer to probably, um, or the message, sorry, to some of our leaders out there at the moment is, you know, wake up, smell the roses a little bit, stop generalising, get specific and, and grab the bull by the horns, take the opportunity to do something different rather than um, trying to outrun your, outrun your competitor. Um, I quite like the Alliant analogy. So, um, I mean, look, we, we've had a fantastic conversation. We, we, we could probably go on for hours, as we said. We will, because we're going to bring many more, of these, uh, many more of these discussions on the Grow Show to each other. But I just want to say a huge thanks to David and to Tom for being part of this today. Um, I look forward to delving much deeper as we, as we progress further on. But thank you ever so much. Stay safe and, uh, and make sure you don't generalise. Get specific. <laughs>